grateful to have you guys here today to be part of what God is doing in this time and place and in this season. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that we can gather today, not only in this room, but wherever you are online. I know that this is spring break for a lot of you, so wherever you're chiming in from, let us know that you're watching and live streaming, and you can tell us where you're located this morning. That'd be awesome. If you're new to this space, um, we especially want to welcome you. We've prayed that this, this time, this gathering would be a blessing to anybody who comes into this space and in this time. And so if you would uh, fill out the card in the seat back in front of you, you can drop it in the giving boxes to the right and to the left on your way out. And we'll contact you in a respectful way. If you're online and you'd like to give us your information, you can let us know that you're here by emailing us or just saying hello on the live stream. This is our 11th week in Nehemiah, okay? This is the next to last week that we're going to be in Nehemiah. So if you're ready to get to work, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Nehemiah chapter 11. That's where we're going to start, and we're going to plow all the way through chapter 12 today. We're going to cover two chapters, and then next week we'll close out this incredible book. So if you're new and you're like, okay, I'm picking up in the last episode of this whole season of God's work in the book of Nehemiah, let me kind of catch you up to what's happening. First of all, this group of people have been spread throughout the area. They had been taken into captivity. They had lived as slaves for over 70 years. And then in three waves, people had returned back to their homeland. They had been... um, scattered everywhere because of their sin. And now God is restoring his people to his place and he's restoring his name among his people. They're coming back. God's restoring all things. They work together to restore a wall around the city. It took them 52 days. Everybody had cooperated. It was an amazing feat. And then they began working on restoring their worship, their culture, what we talked about last week. And at this point, God has restored the security of the people through the walls around the city, but they had never paused to say, okay, let's celebrate. And so today, there's two things that are going to happen in these two chapters. The first one is, we're going to look at how the people repopulate the city, okay? Because it's a, it's a vast city and nobody lives there. And in order for God to do his work and establish his culture among the city, people had to actually move into the place where God intended for them to live. And at this point, they lived on the outskirts. So they're We're going to look at how they repopulate it. And the second thing is they're going to dedicate the work of the wall. They're going to look at the 52 days that it took to accomplish God's work of restoring the security around this city. And they are going to celebrate. And I mean, really celebrate with joy. And they're going to show us how it's done. So two things that we're going to learn from this is service and celebration. As we see the people repopulating the city, there's some things for us to glean about what it means to serve this God who's worthy of all praise. He's worthy of of declaring where we should live. He's worthy of setting up the boundaries about where we uh, place our homes. He's worthy of us to worship him and to sing out loud to him, which I loved hearing you guys sing just now. And so there's a couple things that are going on and a couple things that I hope that we'll see in their service and in their celebration. Would you join me in praying before we plow through this text? And I want to ask you not to listen to me pray, but to actually pray and say, God, speak to me today. Would you do that with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. And as we lift up your name and exalt you, we believe that you're always about the work of making us know who you are. And so we pray that as we come to your word today, that you would declare yourself once again as worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And I pray that you'd draw hearts to yourself. For those that feel very far from what we've just talked about and sang about, I pray that you'd draw them in closer, that their affections for you, their love for you would be stirred once again. That if 
if they feel as if they've drifted away and they're disoriented and in whatever way, I pray that today would be useful for your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now let's first look at Nehemiah chapter 11, starting in verse one. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of 10, bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in their other towns. Verse two, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Just pause for a second. Here's what's going on. The remainder of the chapter is going to explain how all of these people are repopulating into this vast city. And the only way for you to understand why this was a need and why they would have to assign things for people to come back and cast lots and say, okay, who's going to do it? You have to understand what was said in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. It's going to be on the screen. It says this, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. In other words, they had a safety net now with the wall, but nobody lived there. And that was not what God intended. So few things are happening before you get to this point. And, and they had been establishing that they could be there securely, but nobody lived there. That, that meant that um, because there weren't people to live there, it was not as secure as it could be. There was still a threat. And so if someone came um, to destroy them or to declare war on them, they would have first gone to this city and there weren't enough people in the city to defend themselves. The people out on the outskirts were much more safe. And the city itself, even though walls had been rebuilt, now they've got a temple, it still was desolate. Economically, it would have been difficult to make it in this city, especially in a gregarian culture where the only source that they had for income was their fields and their flocks. And so the people that would have moved into this city would have been, it would have cost them greatly in order to do it. It would have been a sacrifice economically. And in order for God's name to be restored to this place, it was going to require that kind of great sacrifice from his people because the place is desolate. So what I want you to imagine right now is us calling for one out of 10 from Madison Flowood and from everywhere else around Jackson to move to the south side. That would be the equivalent of what's happening in this passage. It was saying, hey, how will we get this city to be restored and established if people aren't willing to live there? And the people who were able to live there or who was called on to live there would have been doing something that everyone around them would have admired and said, okay, that doesn't make any sense economically. It makes no sense um, due to their safety. It makes no sense. The only way that it makes sense is that God is worthy of them coming from the place where they were more comfortable to a place they were left com less comfortable. So they reorganized this responsibility of coming back to the city and one of the things I just want to make note of is that the people had to take the responsibility. So the first thing it says is that the leaders went to the city. So the first people at the front were the, those that were in leadership, the nobles, those that were in charge. They were willing to go sacrifice for the sake of this purpose of repopulating the city. The second thing is there's a tithe of the people, 10% of the people, and they just talked about a tithe last week in that passage, 10% of the people were saying, hey, we're going to move back. So they had to show up in order for the lot to be cast. So they cast lots. And it, basically, if you drew the short end of the stick, if you drew the short straw, they were saying, okay, you got to be willing to come back to the city. They had a willingness to serve. So just note that. God's people had a willingness to serve. Even those who might have been more reluctant than others, they had to show up and draw straws and say, okay, who's going to move back to this place? 
And then lastly, there's some that are assigned and some who volunteered. And I want you to notice this, that throughout this passage, all through chapter 11, the ones who volunteered, the ones who went back there were honored. They, they had more honor. They were blessed. They were praised because they were willing to sacrifice for the sake of it. The way that it was described in chapter 11. Look at this. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 6, it says it calls them valiant men. And in verse 8, men of valor. In verse 14, mighty men of valor. All of these places, it's showing and demonstrating they had a willingness to serve the purposes of God's kingdom. And at this point, the purposes of his, his kingdom coming demanded that some people sacrifice where they lived in order to accomplish God's work. And so I have a couple questions before we move further through this passage. Have you ever asked the question, where does God want me to live? Just to, I just want to throw that out there. Have you ever asked the question, where does God want me to live? Because throughout the story of history, God has set the parameters of his people. He set the boundaries for them, and sometimes in, in Psalms it said it's in Psalm 16 that, that he set the boundaries in pleasant places. Have you ever asked God that question? And if you have never asked God the question, where would you have me to live? It, it, I just want to invite you to ponder that question for a moment. Where would God have me to live? Because God's always doing this work of establishing his kingdom. And most of the time, the place where he wants to restore things doesn't look as nice as the place where things are already restored. Okay, I'm not saying God has anything against good neighborhoods. I love nice neighborhoods. Nice neighborhoods are great. But at some point in time, God invites us to ponder this question, where would you have me to live in order to accomplish your purposes in the world? And that's the question that they're answering in this place. And I just want to point out that all throughout history, man's eyes always see the external, the risks, the cost. And God sees in every place the thing that is becoming, the thing that's happening in the future, the way in which he's developing a narrative of his restoration in the world. We said this from week one in this, in this sermon series, that God is a God of restoration. He loves to do that. He loves to get down into the nitty-gritty of our lives and take the worst spaces and make them the most beautiful. And I just want you to imagine that these people have left one of the most established kingdoms. In fact, Nehemiah would have left being the cupbearer for the king. He had lived in palaces. He had lived in amazing spaces. Amazing times to see that kind of wealth and power and then say, you know what? I think God is calling me to a place where he wants to establish his name. And even in their celebration that we're going to look at in just a moment, I can imagine that the parades and the celebrations that they would have experienced in Persia and Babylon and Assyria would have been elaborate. They would have spared no expense. And here's Nehemiah saying, hey, God's calling us to rebuild a wall, to repopulate a city, to establish a culture where his name will be known. And the people had to demonstrate a will to serve. Have you ever asked the question, not only where would you have me live, but what are you calling me to sacrifice? Because going on mission trips, it is awesome and fun, but sometimes walking across the street to our next door neighbors can be just as challenging. Maybe going across the interstate to the other side of the city, it's another 
idea. This, this is how God might be inviting us to see and to serve the work of redemption and restoration that he's accomplishing in our season, in this time. So have you ever pondered where God would have you to live? Have you ever invited God to inform you on where he's inviting you to serve right now? Where do you want me to serve God? Listen, there's a myriad of ways that God is establishing his kingdom on earth through the church, through the local church. In fact, there's, there's a, a piece of paper in the seat back in front of you, and you can go ahead and be distracted with that piece of paper for the rest of the sermon. Because on it, it has, it has a list of ways that we need people to volunteer. And for the people who volunteered in this moment, there was double honor. Some people were assigned, like they waited till they were called on. The other people said, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go where it would cost me where I have to have sacrifice. And I just want to bless the people right now in the willingness to serve. This church has some amazing people who regularly give up their comforts in order to serve us as a congregation. There are people right now that are volunteering to teach kids, Bellwether kids. We have an elder today who's teaching K through fifth grade. Isn't that awesome? That we have a man who's over there investing his life because he believes it's worthy of that. We have people that are serving right now with kids from zero to, to four-year-olds that are showing them the love of Christ, that are praying good things over their lives. We have people that are investing in prayer right now, that are praying over everyone who would have gathered in this room before they gathered in this room. They volunteered for those moments of service. They volunteered and said, I'm not waiting for you to come to me and assign me, Lord, to these tasks. I'm saying, I will do this for the sake of your great name. The deacons... We have deacons that regularly, just a couple weeks ago, Christy Clayton took this, in, this huge offering of things from our church to Span Elementary because she sees the need and she's stepping into that need. And she's worthy of double honor in that. What a great gift that we would have people that step into those moments of need and sacrifice and they say, I'm willing. And they're worthy of being honored today. We should outdo one another in showing honor. That's what Romans says. We should be competitive with how we say, aren't these people amazing? God is showing off his great works. Have you ever pondered those questions? Where should I live? Where should I serve? And have you ever watched the people around you giving up their good comforts in order to pursue God's kingdom coming on earth? And when you see it, I want to invite you to do like these people and say, that is praiseworthy. That is honorable. We not only thank them, but we rejoice that God is accomplishing things that we could not accomplish by ourselves. So, with you volunteering, I promise you, there's joy to be had, okay? In every way that you sacrifice things, God promises joy. Being reluctantly assigned to it, there's even, a, there's even joy in that, okay? Even when we're reluctantly assigned. Some people, I want to I um, give you a few ways that you could respond to my invitation for you to serve God's kingdom on earth. First thing is this. You could volunteer, and I promise you, like I already said, there's joy in that. You could be reluctantly assigned. Sometimes it's just unavoidable. If you're a member of a church, that means you've taken on the responsibilities of the church in order to say, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom and coming on earth. There's another way that you could live, and it could be that you miss out on what God's doing. I would hate that for you. I'd hate for you to get to the end of it and say, my name is not among those who brought about God's kingdom on earth in this season, in this place, and in this time. I'd hate for you to do that. So don't be confused. 
God is not reluctant to offend your comforts, your safety, and your security. And a lot of times, that's the very place he's inviting you to to, uh, work because it's right outside of your comfort zone and right outside of your securities, right outside of the places you've already sacrificed that God's inviting you to see that his purposes are being accomplished. So I want you to imagine where's the boundary lines and what God is inviting you into. Nobody wants to be like Jonah. You guys know Jonah the reluctant prophet who eventually had to do what God said to do anyway, and he pouted the entire way. Nobody wants to be that guy. We want to be like these people who willingly chose to give up their comforts. We want to be like the psalmist who said, I was so glad when they said, let me go into the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house. In other words, I'd like to be an usher. I'd love to be a greeter in God's house much more than to be in the gates of the wicked. And I want to leave you this quote from Jim Elliott, who served as a missionary in in Ecuador, who gave up his life for the sake of the gospel, who went where he was most uncomfortable, and in fact lost his life by sharing the gospel with those people who eventually came to faith. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And these people joyfully gave up what they could not keep in order to gain what they couldn't lose. And they were honored for it. And let's not forget what they had accomplished at this point as a people. They had a mind to work, and in 52 days they had rebuilt this wall, and now comes this moment, if you can imagine that the city is filling up again, and there's another great gathering. Throughout Nehemiah, if you haven't been here for all the episodes of Nehemiah, there have been several great gatherings where God calls all his people together. The first one, he's saying, hey, let's read God's word. Sometimes they corrected one another and said, hey, this is oppression. You shouldn't behave this way. They corrected, they celebrated, they repented. And here comes another great gathering of God's people. And it's another party. I mean, a celebration. They are going to blow the roof off with how they celebrate the dedication of this wall that they've accomplished. Go down to chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, lyres. And then in verse 28, And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the village of the Neophyte. Netophathites, sorry. They gathered into the city. So the city's filling up, and it's not just filling up, it's filling up with singers at this point, and they're about to throw a party because of what God has already accomplished and in the imagination of what he was going to accomplish in the future. They're like, hey, let's have a choir. Look on down in verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Now I can imagine a group of leaders planning this day and they're like, okay, how are we going to celebrate the fact that God has accomplished and established us? And one of them's like, how about we have a choir? And someone says, how about we have two choirs? I got something even better than that. And they're like, you know what? Somebody maybe at that table was like, you know, that's not... That's not quite reasonable. We don't need two choirs in order to celebrate things. But how about we have two choirs? What's more memorable than one choir? Two choirs marching around the city on top of the walls, singing over the city. Can you imagine it? They're singing loud enough for all their neighbors to hear them singing. 
And there's a book that I really, I really loved. It's a secular leadership book called The Power of Moments. If you haven't read it and you're into those kind of things, you should read it. And there's this great quote in it that says, beware the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. And it's talking about building up these moments. I love that quote. Beware the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. There's some moments, (laughs) there's some moments where God wants us to just go over the top because he's been over the top towards us and what he's done for us blew every expectation out of the water. And this is one of those moments. They gather inside the city. It's not needed. It's not necessary. Folks will be able to hear one choir. Nope. Two choirs singing, celebrating, celebrating. Look at verse 37. At the fountain gate, they went straight before them by the stairs of the city of David to the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Then in verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of ovens to the broad wall. It's like a grand parade on top of the wall. And I just want to point out that back in chapter four, verse three, there was this this wicked guy named Tobiah. Y'all remember what he said? He was taunting them, saying, hey, look, if a fox crawls up on your wall, it's going to crumble. And here you've got a whole parade of choirs jumping up on the wall. Verse 40, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half the officials with me. So they parade around the city. Eventually they, they land themselves in the temple and they're all singing loudly. Verse 43, going down to that verse. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Can you imagine the sound? Can you imagine the sound of it? The sound of joy from all the surrounding region, hearing, rising up from the rooftops over the city. Two choirs of people. Listen, rejoicing is the mark of people who've been transformed by Jesus. Rejoicing requires a kind of humility where you're no longer, you're no longer thinking of how you appear. You're thinking of what's been done for you. It's a complete transformation. And I can imagine the sound of this people. The first few weeks of COVID, you guys remember that when all the churches shut down? And I remember we, we started recording our church services in advance and then we'd publish them. It was the first time ever in my life that I got to worship with my family. It was fantastic. So I'm sitting there with my family through the cringeworthy moments of seeing myself on the screen. But I'm sitting one day on my back deck and we're watching the worship service and suddenly I can hear there's a Pentecostal church about three blocks down and they had uh, church service in their parking lot and I could hear them shouting. I mean, they were singing and some of the songs I recognized and I started humming along. And I can just imagine the sound of this city awakening with praise and joy and all the people perking up and saying, what is that sound? What's going on? Maybe some of them got nearer They're like, we got to figure out what's happening. And this is exactly what God wants to do through a redeemed people. He wants to sound the voice of triumph through us so that the hearing world would look on and say, what is it going on in there? What is happening with those people? What's happening? What's going on with this group of people? And in all of it, their joy could be heard. They took great joy in the wall, yes, because look at them. They're walking on it and saying, look what we did. 
But ultimately, they're looking at it and saying, look what God has done for us. We were sinful and scattered, and he's regathered us for the purpose of worshiping him. They took joy in the dedication of the wall. They took joy in the reality of what it represented that was behind them. They took joy in, the rep- in what it represented for what was a in front of them, what was before them, what was in their future. They were saying, hey, God has done great things for us and he's going to do great things for us. They took great joy in the Levites and the priests who ministered. Now, last week we talked about giving a little bit. I just want to point out, because this this chapter does not exclude giving as well. In fact, in, in the midst of talking about this parade of joy, they're like, also, we appointed some people to take up the offering. Look at verse uh, 48, I'm sorry. Go down to 44. Nehemiah 12, 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather them into them the portions required by the law for the priest and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Again, here's what marked them. It wasn't just sacrificial giving. They had joy about what God had done and they had joy about the people who were ministering. They were just overwhelmed. And I just wanna take a little time out and celebrate the staff that we have here. Listen, Hunter is one of the most contemplative, thoughtful people I know. He's a gift to us. Mason is up here every week leading this, the guy with a guitar in the middle. Let me tell you about him. He's one of the most earnest and grateful and humble people that I know. Byron is one of the most hardworking people. If you don't know Byron, he's the guy always back there behind the scenes making all this work. And he's making lots of things work. And I rejoice in him. We should rejoice in him. There should be a joy in providing for these people who bless us on a weekly basis. Fran Gatewood, y'all know Fran? Listen, she's been volunteering for about a month as an administrative assistant. She doesn't get paid anything, but she shows up for staff meeting every single week and she says, how can I serve? How can I bless? She's part of our staff. We should rejoice over her. Tyler Kemp, y'all, last night I got to go hear the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra. This guy that plays piano up here, y'all don't even know. You don't even understand what a gift he is, what he's capable of. And here he is with this few group of people and God is showing off his goodness to us through Tyler. I can't believe I get to work with these amazing people. And these, this group of people, not only did they march around and they sang, they gave because they rejoiced in the people that was ministering to them. They were so glad. They were so glad to make provisions for them because they were so blessed by them. I love it. I love that, that it's included in God's word. And now if you can imagine them singing over the city, I can imagine them singing something like Psalm 48. And you can just see them marching around this city that they had been participating in bringing. Look at Psalm 48, verse uh, 9. It's going to be on the screen. This would be an example of something they sang. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. In other words, this city that we're in, let all of it be glad. Let the daughters 
of Judah, rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. In other words, they would have walked around the city and said, consider what God is doing here. Let the daughters rejoice. Let every son rejoice. Remember what he's done for us. And in the future, you retell these stories of how faithful our God has been. And in future generations, they will rise up because of this moment of rejoicing and say, our God is good. So they walk around the city rejoicing and rejoicing. Listen, I just want you to know that you cannot have joy and look like a sour patch, okay? You can't do it. Joy is always demonstrative. In other words, it's going to be apparent what you delight in. If you delight in something, if you take joy in it, it's going to be apparent to everyone who sees you taking delight in it. Our worship, our praise is not this command that's coercive on us. It's a response to what we've witnessed. When we sing words of of praise on Sundays, this is our natural response because we've been delighted by God. There's a natural response of joy when we see who He is and what He's doing. We delight in Him and His work and what He's accomplished. And everyone sang from the leaders all the way through the kids, the women and children. Everybody is lifting up their voice. So you had the choir and the crowd and there was no difference. Everybody's singing. So listen, if you in here and you're like, well, I don't have much of a singing voice, okay? I just want you to consider all the commands of the Psalms that say, sing a song to the Lord, okay? Just consider it, okay? Even if you're not a good singer, you can keep it within your parameter right here. You don't even have to sing loud, but lift up your voice. There's a reason for us to sing. There's a really good reason for us to sing. God has been gracious to us. We deserved sin. We deserved hell. And his wrath has been kept from us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so for everyone who's received that gift, there is a reason to be joyful. He's doing a work that we, don't even, we couldn't even make our way into it, but he chose to, to make us part of what he's accomplishing in the world. And we have a reason to be joyful today. And it's always demonstrative. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Rejoicing requires humility. If you're a proud person, I just want you to imagine all the good fun you're missing out on when you don't sing. (laughs) We are God's people, and God's people have always been a people who sing out loud to him and say good things about him because he has been so good to us. And this goes against our culture. You guys know how how, uh, cool and cynical our culture is today. It is so much more virtuous, according to the culture, to be cynical, to be protected from all the disappointments that are going to come your way. Listen, if you expect anything, you're going to be disappointed. But God's people are so grateful because we've received something that's so much greater than our disappointments. Listen, we live in such a cynical place and time. There's a general mistrust towards humanity where we look at everyone around us with a sense of skepticism because we've been disappointed. Because modernity, this world that we live in, the culture has promised things and they've left us disappointed. I want to read this from Dallas Willard. He says this, Modernity has given us a culture that offers a flood of self-fulfillment 
fulfillment programs in the form of political, scientific, and even psychological revolutions. All promise to promote personal peace and influence, and yet we suffer from an epidemic of depression, suicide, personal emptiness, escapism through drugs and alcohol, cultic obsession, consumerism, and sex and violence. So the opposite of what the world has offered, God is offering us a culture of sacrifice and joy. He's inviting you to give up everything that didn't matter in the first place. And he's inviting you to experience great joy that you could not have found in any of the world's offers. The opposite of what the culture of the world is offering, Christ offers us. He offers us a life of service where we get to be part of something that's meaningful, that's transcendent, that goes beyond the grave because we've been promised resurrection even beyond this life. God is raising up a culture among us of celebration in this people where we regularly stand in awe of what God has done for us and we say, what in the world? How could we be glad recipients once and over and over and over again of his great mercy that comes as we just sang every single morning, whether we saw it or not? And so many of us, maybe we're resistant to this kind of joyful celebration because we see the scouring look of God in the sky and he's looking at us saying, how could you? Listen, we serve a God who is so happy. He is so happy. John Ortberg describes God like this. It's going to be on the screen. We will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. God also knows sorrow. Jesus is remembered, among other things, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day that the world is set right. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is his eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the the universe. In other words, our God is happy. If you want to know him and experience him and be invited into the glory that he's seeking to demonstrate in the context of the church, you will be glad participants in the joy that he's bestowed on us. We get to both give it to one another in honor and receive it from him in salvation. And so in conclusion, I'm really wrapping up. Last thing is this, final statement. Our God is worthy of serving and celebrating. Some of you already know that. You're sacrificially saying, God, where would you have me to live and what would you have me to do and how would you have me to serve? He's worthy of all those things. And so if you've never pondered the question, God, where would you have me to go to be an agent of reconciliation to the world? Ask the question and then listen for him to answer it. Because as much as we're interested in our comforts, in our temporary Uh, securities. God is interested in in putting us places where our comforts will be crossed over. He'll stretch this threshold of what we feel comfortable with so that we can experience the joy of what he's doing in the world. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of it. And those who volunteer to go there and aren't just assigned, they are worthy of double honor. Like these people who said, I'll gladly go. I'll go wherever God has for me to go. And he's also worthy of celebrating. If you've disconnected from God's purposes and you feel like you lack all joy in this world, you feel disappointed and disillusioned, here's his invitation to you. Give up everything and get everything. Give up everything you thought would bring you joy and I'll give you real and lasting and eternal joy through Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for a place to serve today, before we come looking for you, fill out that card in front of you. Okay? 
We have great needs right now from behind that booth to in the, the foyer to in Bellwether Kids. There are lots of ways to say yes to God's work coming on earth as it is in heaven. Lots of various ways. Fill it out. Drop it in the gift box on your way out. And he's worthy of celebrating. If you've been just a stick in the mud, okay, and you more relate to Jesus as the man of sorrows than the God of the universe who's ultimately happy, singing over his creation, delighting in everyone he redeems, if you don't know the God who's delighted, I want to invite you to know him. He loves and delights in his children. And he's worthy of celebrating. He invites you into the greatest celebration of all. And that is what Christ has accomplished for us. So today we want to take communion because Christ invited us regularly to remember what he did for us and to see and celebrate what he's did. So if you would take out this cup. This is our first time to celebrate the table since COVID, which is such a gift. And as we take this cup, yeah, it is a gift to say, Lord, you're doing great things. So I want to invite you to take off your mask for a moment. And we're going to take the cup and you can peel it back. And I want to declare this over you, okay? There's going to be a liturgy on the screen and the portions that are underlined, I want you to read them aloud. So for everyone who's trusting that Christ sacrifices enough for them, you're not trusting in your own strength. This is a gift to remember and celebrate. And I want to ask you this question, okay? Ponder it for a moment. What right do we have to dine at the table of Jesus? Just wait, think about that for a second. What right do we have? What right do we have? How can we approach this throne of grace? What right do we have to come and say, Jesus, how can we, how can we come and dine with you? And I want you to read this aloud with me. Family, we who believe have every right to dine at his table. What gives us this right? Ponder this question for a moment. What gives us this right to dine at Jesus' table? What makes us qualified to come before him and say, I will take your body and your blood as a sacrifice for me? Let's read this aloud together. We have this right because Jesus came not for the strong, but for the weak, not for the righteous, but for sinners, not for the self-sufficient, but for those who know they need rescue. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and frail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, Jesus welcomes into his circle, adopts into his family, and reserves a place at his table. For he is the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of his enemies the defender of the indefensible and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. Thanks be to God. Take this bread. Remember that it's by his body broken that we could sit at his table and eat. Give thanks and take and eat it. Now open this cup with me. take this cup and remember that it was not our blood that was shed 
But the only right that we have to sit at the table with Jesus is that his blood would be shed in our place. We take it and remember your sacrifice, Jesus. Take and drink it. Jesus is worthy today to be served and to be celebrated. Let's stand up and sing to him.